A big reveal is a cinematic staple. We've all seen those movies where there's a huge twist at the end and it just changes everything about the story. You thought one thing and it's turned on its head. Some of my favorite movies have these big twists where all of a sudden the curtain is pulled back, the light shines in, the truth is revealed, and everything you've thought about the story is just totally changed. I'm not going to spoil some of these great movies for you, but if you've seen them, you know movies like Fight Club, movie like Shutter Island. One of my favorites, I've talked about how I love Christopher Nolan before, is The Prestige. You watch these movies, you see the big reveal, and you instantly want to watch the movie again because all of a sudden you understand the secret that has changed everything about the story, and so you just want to sit down and hit replay. That's a lot of fun in movies when we have those events. One of these reveals that is so commonly known, and it's spoiled, sadly, for, for new viewers, is the identity of Darth Vader. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it again. It's such common knowledge, I don't feel bad. If you've seen the Star Wars movies, you know. You know how this goes. Luke Skywalker, he's the good guy. And at the climax of The Empire Strikes Back, he's in a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader. And he's, he's lost. Darth Vader has just chopped his hand off. And, and he's lost. And in that moment, instead of destroying Luke, Vader begins to talk to him about his father. And Luke doesn't know his father. What he thinks he knows is that Darth Vader killed his father. And then Vader reveals the truth that's unbearable to Luke. He is his father. Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. And since this is such common knowledge, such a, a story that's played out and is so, you know, everywhere in pop culture, we kind of miss the impact. If you were like watching that for the first time, you, may, you might remember how incredible it was, how it totally transformed the story. You see, Star Wars before that reveal is a pretty flat story with pretty flat characters. Luke is all good. Darth Vader's all bad. It's a story of the good guy needs to go beat the bad guy. We've seen that story a million times. But then you have this reveal that brings all this complexity and intrigue to the characters and to the story. All of a sudden, Luke has to wrestle with his own demons, his own inclination to the dark side like his father. All of a sudden, Darth Vader becomes a character for whom you have hope. You're like, huh, what's, what's going to happen with this guy? And the mission no longer is good guy beat bad guy. It's can we redeem this fallen character? And so all of a sudden, the, the Star Wars story has new life. The trilogy goes in a completely different direction. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's part of the reason that the Star Wars movies are classics that we all love is because of this big reveal that changes everything about the story. And that's a lot of fun in fiction. Maybe you've got a favorite book that has a big reveal. It's a lot of fun in these movies. But it's also incredible how it's a real impact in our own lives. Revelation isn't just for fiction. It's for nonfiction, too. When you know the truth of Jesus Christ about yourself, about God, everything changes. Your self-understanding changes, your relationship to God changes, the way you live your life changes when you have seen the revelation, when you've seen the truth. This Advent, we're talking about a name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And last week, Pastor Tim talked about how Emmanuel is our rescue. And this week, we're looking at this idea that Emmanuel is the greatest revelation of humanity and of God ever seen. That Emmanuel reveals the truth to us and it changes everything. We're going to be in John 14 today, a really famous passage with some incredible statements from Jesus. And we're going to see 
three things. Three things in our passage. First, we're going to see how Emmanuel, God with us, reveals that we have an unshakable hope for eternity because God will always be with us. Second, we'll see that Emmanuel reveals the very character and nature of God himself because Jesus is God with us. And then finally, we'll see how Emmanuel changes the way we live our lives because it reveals that we have a new purpose as followers of this Emmanuel. So if you have your Bible, open with me to John 14. We're going to see these three things. Emmanuel reveals hope. Emmanuel reveals the nature of God. Emmanuel reveals our new purpose in life. So John 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In the Gospel of John, before Jesus is betrayed, he gives this lengthy farewell discourse to the disciples, and it covers most of chapters 13 to 16. And so we're in the beginning of that farewell, and Jesus has a really important purpose to giving this lengthy farewell. He wants to ease the fears of the disciples with new revelation, with new truth that brings them hope, specifically the hope of Emmanuel, God with us. And so he starts by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he begins to speak about heaven. He begins to speak about how he is making a place so that the disciples can be with God. Their Emmanuel hope. Perhaps you've read over John 14 before and you've gotten stuck on these words, house and rooms. Wondering, what is, what is heaven going to be like? What, what child who didn't grow up in the church hasn't wondered, man, what's heaven going to be like? I know in the KJV, it says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And I remember as a kid thinking, man, heaven's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a mansion. It's going to be fantastic. And then maybe you're a 90s kid and you've got the, the Newsboys big house song running through your head. And you're like thinking about football in the backyard in heaven. That's really catchy and all, but it totally misses the point. The point of heaven, the, the purpose of heaven is not that we get all the earthly goodies we missed here. We're going to have all these, these worldly possessions in heaven. No, the point of heaven is what Jesus emphasizes, that we're going to be with God, that Jesus is going to come back to bring us to himself, that we will be with him forever. 
The theologian Michael Allen says, the emphasis of the Bible is not on newness, but on nearness. Surely God makes all things new, but by bringing us into his presence, by bringing us close, near to himself. This is the hope that Jesus gives his disciples. But let's not miss how he gives them that hope because it's somewhat paradoxical. Jesus says that they should turn from fear to faith, believing in him, trusting that he will be with them because he goes. I go to prepare a place for you. But for Jesus to go doesn't mean just to be away. Throughout the gospel of John, whenever Jesus says, I must go, he's talking about his mission. He's talking about how he must go to the cross to die for sins, to take the penalty and take the debt away. That he must go to the grave and rise victorious on the third day to defeat death itself. That he must ascend into heaven to the right hand of the Father on high, that he would rule and reign over all things. The reason that we can be so sure, so secure in this eternal hope of being with God is because Jesus has eliminated every obstacle that stands in our way of being with God. He's taken away our sin. He has destroyed death itself. He has risen on high to claim victory and power over all things. We can have confidence. We can have hope because of Jesus' first advent. What does that mean for us this advent? What does that mean in this season right now for you and me? Advent is such a beautiful season. Advent is so incredible because it holds together things we need in tension. You see, Advent doesn't shy away from darkness while it talks about light. We know that we live in a world of darkness, of brokenness, of pain, of suffering, of heartbreak, of fear. Advent reminds us not all is as it should be. We hurt. And yet... We're told to look forward to the second advent, to remember light has shone in and the light is coming. We have hope. And so when we gather together during this season of advent, we're waiting, but we're not waiting in despair. We're waiting in confidence. We're waiting in hope that Jesus is who he says he is, He is coming again. It's the mystery of our faith that we recite together each week because Christ has died. Christ is risen. You could put a therefore. He will come again. That's our hope. So I ask you this morning, maybe you're in a place of darkness. What are the eyes of your heart set upon? Are they set upon the darkness around you? on some pain, some loss, some hurt, some suffering that you're going through. Advent doesn't tell you to minimize that pain, to pretend it's not real, to just ignore it. But Advent encourages us to turn our eyes to heaven. We have an unshakable hope that God will be with us forever. Jesus is returning to wipe away every tear to end all pain and sorrow. He will make all things right, make all things new by bringing all things near to himself. Is that your hope this Advent season? Emmanuel reveals to us that our hope can't be taken away. No matter how dark things are here and now, the light has shone in 
and he is coming again. But Emmanuel doesn't simply reveal that we have a hope that is unfading. It also reveals the very character and nature of God. Look back at the text with me. Look beginning in verse four. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Emmanuel reveals to us that we have not received something or someone less than God. We have received God himself. Jesus says some remarkable things to Thomas and Philip, incredible things that draw us into the very heart of our Trinitarian faith. First, he talks to Thomas and he, he responds to one of his question with one of the most famous statements in all of scripture. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And that's a, an amazing statement on its own. But if you remember the context of the whole gospel of John, it is filled to fullness, overflowing with incredible glory. Remember back to the introduction of the gospel of John, where we're told that the word was with God and the word was God, that all things that were made were made through him and that this word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so when we remember that, we realize that what Jesus is saying here is not, hey, I'm a religious option. I'm a religious teacher. Follow me if you want to have a good life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something far more remarkable than that. He's saying, I am the only mode of approach to God himself because I am God, come in the flesh, broken, resurrected, ascended, that our humanity might enter the very life of God. If you would participate in God's own life, then you must come to Jesus. He's not saying, I just have good ideas, true ideas that you must listen to. He's saying, I am reality itself. One commentator put it like this, Jesus is the plumb line for all things seen and unseen, the lens through which the world is to be interpreted and by which it must be judged. Jesus is the light that shines into our darkness, revealing all things. He is reality itself. And when Jesus says, I am the life, he's not saying, hey, you'll have a good life if you live like me. He's saying, I am the ground of being himself. All things that have life came to being through my life. I am the creator God and I am the redeemer God. If you would have new life, come to me because I can give you resurrection life. That's what Jesus is saying. This statement understood in the context of the whole gospel is incredible. Jesus is telling us what the church has believed for 2000 years 
He is Yahweh come in the flesh. He is nothing less than God himself. He is the creator of the universe walking among us. And yet, he continues to distinguish himself from the Father who is also God. And so we get to the heart of our Trinitarian faith, that we have one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, one in being, three in persons, but just one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus emphasizes this unity with the Father in his response to Philip. Philip wants to see the Father, and Jesus assures him, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Philip. And more than that, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father, and when I speak, God the Father is at work. That's how tightly unified they are. Jesus is saying something that is incredibly good news for us that we need to remind ourselves of again and again and again. There are not two wills in God. It's not like Jesus has one will and the Father has another will. We often kind of pit Jesus kind of the God of the New Testament against the Father as the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is full of grace and mercy, and the Father, you know, he's the Old Testament God of anger and malice and jealousy. And so we think, Jesus might want to draw near to me. Jesus might love me, but the Father, he doesn't like me. He's holding me at arm's length, and it's a complete contradiction of what the Bible teaches us. We have one God And his will and desire for you is revealed in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite theologians, T.F. Torrance, puts it like this. God is not one thing in himself and another thing in Jesus Christ. What God is towards us in Jesus, he is inherently and eternally in himself. This is the fiducial significance of the central clause of the Nicene Creed, the creed we will say together this morning that there is a oneness in being and agency between Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son, and God the Father. There is an unbroken relation of being and action between the Son and the Father. And in Jesus Christ, that relation has been embodied in our human existence once and for all. Here's the point. There is thus no God behind the back of Jesus Christ, but only this God whose face we see in the face of the Lord Jesus. There is no deus absconditus, no dark, inscrutable God, no arbitrary deity of whom we can know nothing, but before whom we can only tremble as our guilty conscience paints harsh streaks upon his face. No, there are no dark spots in God for which we need to be afraid. There is nothing in God for which Jesus Christ does not go bail in virtue of the perfect oneness and in being and nature between God and himself. There is only one God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ in such a way that there is perfect consistency and fidelity between what he reveals of the Father and what the Father is in his unchangeable reality. The constancy of God in time and eternity has to do with the fact that God really is like Jesus. I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you needed a reminder that God really is like Jesus. There is no God behind the back of Jesus of which we must cower and be terrified because Jesus reveals the very heart of God towards you. That you would come to receive his grace by faith. 
that you would be healed, you would be restored, you'd be transformed. The heart of God towards you revealed in Jesus is merciful and gracious. You must not fear that Jesus has one will and desire towards you and the Father something different. Jesus reveals that there's love, grace, new life offered to you through his death and resurrection. And it is the very love, grace, and life of God himself because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are inseparable. Jesus is God himself. We have not received second best. We have received Emmanuel, God with us. So we have hope and we have confidence that God's love is for us, that grace and mercy are offered to us in infinite proportion on the cross. But finally, Emmanuel doesn't simply reveal that we have hope, doesn't simply reveal the very nature of God, but it completely reorients the way we live day to day. It gives us a new purpose, a new vocation in life. Turn back to the text with me one more time, beginning in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Emmanuel, God with us, gives us hope. Emmanuel, God with us, reveals the very heart of God towards us. But finally, it gives us a new purpose in life. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in Emmanuel, your life is changed forever. You now are about the works that Jesus does. That's your life. No longer are you to live for the things that you want to pursue, to do the works of your own desires, to pursue your own dreams and visions and idolatries of the old self. Now you have a new direction to do the works of Jesus. Now we often stumble on some of the words of Jesus here. Jesus says, and greater works than these will he do. And he also says, anything you ask in my name, I will do it. And so we read these, these two passages and we get confused. We think, so Jesus is going to fall into the background and I'm going to become more impressive than Jesus? Or we think, all of a sudden, Jesus just guarantees whatever I pray for. And so God is a cosmic gumball machine. I put the quarter of prayer in, turn the knob, get my prize. And then we also look around at our lives and we say, neither of these things seem true. They're not. What is Jesus saying? Well, in the same way that in our passage, Jesus lives in and from his union with the Father, we live in and from our union with Jesus. We don't have one shared being and essence with Jesus the way that the Son has with the Father, but we live in and from our life in Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about our union with Christ, that we must live in Jesus all of our days. He puts it like this in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We will, we work, we act, and God wills and acts and works through us. It's a mystery of the Christian life, but a mystery, being a mystery doesn't make it untrue. If you yield your life to Emmanuel, God with us, then he is active in your life working through you. 
So it's not that you become greater than Jesus. It's that Jesus continues to act in and through his people. So the works are greater because Jesus is doing more and more through and in his church. Jesus works through you. The same way in our prayers, Jesus says, in the name of Jesus. And so we're not really praying according to how Jesus teaches us to pray. If we pray for our desires, in our name, for our kingdom, for for our will, Jesus teaches us to pray for his name's sake, for his glory, for his kingdom, his will be, be done. And so we're invited by Jesus to see how when we pray, in the name of Jesus, for his kingdom and his will to be done, the Holy Spirit acts. The Holy Spirit moves in and through us to do the works of Jesus. We could get way, way down a rabbit trail here on a theology of vocation. What I want to make clear to you is that each of you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, have a new purpose in your life to live for, with, in and from your union in Christ. That's your life's purpose. So, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Right now, what would you say your life's purpose is? What gives you a sense of meaning and significance day to day? Is it living for the name of Jesus and seeing God work in and and through you? Is it seeing your prayers answered powerfully as you pray in the name of Jesus for his kingdom to come? Or is it something much smaller? Is your sense of meaning wrapped up in your career, in your day job? Maybe you do something really cool. It's still not big enough to hold the weight of your whole life's purpose. You're not meant to find your identity and meaning in a job. You're meant to find it in living for Jesus who is with you now, acting in and through you as Emmanuel. Is it your family? I'm the next generation pastor here. I love family. I think family is one of the greatest goods that God has given us for for flourishing in society. And yet, if you find your meaning, your purpose in life in the flourishing of your family, it's misplaced. Your family is too small an idolatry to be the purpose of your life. Surely, the flourishing of your family is a good thing. It's not your life's purpose. Your life's purpose is to live for the kingdom of God every day. Are you living for wealth, for material gain, for the things of this world, for comfort? I'll tell you right now, you're going to be deeply dissatisfied. And at the end of your life, you'll look in the rearview mirror and find that none of it had meaning. What if instead we woke up every day believing Emmanuel, God is with us, and therefore every day was filled with infinite significance and purpose? Because today I can live for the kingdom of God. Today, as I align my will with the will of Jesus and his kingdom, I can see the Holy Spirit act through me. Today, I can bless others in the name of Jesus that they would experience Emmanuel, God with them. Today, I have infinite opportunities to pray, to see the kingdom of God coming as I pray for the glory of Jesus, praying in the name of Jesus. 
Emmanuel is an incredible name. It reveals so much about who we are and who God is. Emmanuel gives us an unshakable hope that God will be with us forever because he's removed every obstacle that stood in our way from being near to him. Emmanuel reveals the very character, nature, and heart of God to us because Jesus is not second best. He is God himself in the flesh, full of mercy and love. And Emmanuel reveals that our lives have eternal value and significance as we live to do the works of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you infinite thanks for Emmanuel, God with us. We rejoice that you loved us so much that you sent your son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so now, Lord, we pray that this revelation that you have chosen to be with us now and always would change the way we view our future, would change the way we live in relationship with you, and would change the way we live every single day, that we would live in the name of Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.